Welcome back, Crimeaholics. It's your host, Holly, and today is Monday, which means another Missing Monday. If you're new to the podcast, welcome. I am so happy that you found us. Missing Mondays is a segment that was created to help keep missing persons' name and information in the media the best we can and to hopefully help aid in their return home. 90,000 people are missing in the U.S. at any given time, and while some are found alive or deceased, the majority are still missing today. Our goal with Missing Mondays is to not only spread awareness, but to also not forget those individuals who have gone missing. Often when the hype of a missing person's case dies down, people within the community go about their daily lives and forget. But for the families that these people have left behind, they don't forget. They wake up waiting, wake up hoping that today will be the day that they get answers. We want all of the victims' families to know that to us at Crimeaholics and all of our listeners, their loved one is not forgotten. I also want to say that if you cannot tell yet from listening to my voice, I have been sick this last week, and so you're going to have to bear with me as I try and record this the best to my ability. My voice is still not 100%, and I have been suffering a awful cough. But here we are with a new episode for you anyways, and we're just going to power through it. So today's Missing Monday case is on the disappearance of Claudia Lawrence. Claudia Lawrence was born on February 27, 1974, to her parents, Peter and Joan Lawrence. Her father was a very successful solicitor, and Claudia and her older sister, Allie, lived a very comfortable life in Yorkshire. Her mother was a member of the Melton Town Council, and she even served a term as a mayor of the town at one point. Claudia grew up as a very happy child. She was extremely smart and very well educated. She had attended a private school called the York College for Girls, and growing up, Claudia was very close to both of her parents, even after the couple decided to go their separate ways and end their marriage. The older Claudia got, the more she was drawn to being in the kitchen. She absolutely adored cooking and loved to create dishes to serve to her friends and family. With this in mind, she enrolled at a local catering college and soon qualified as a chef. In the beginning, she worked in various different restaurants and hotels in York, but after a while, she wanted a change. She felt that the hours that she was working in the restaurants and hotels didn't really allow her to be very sociable with her friends and her family, and this was something that was very important to Claudia. She really enjoyed being around people she loved. So in 2006, she began working at Goodrick College at the University of York as a chef on the university's main campus. And right off the bat, everyone loved Claudia. She was a very hard worker. She was extremely reliable and was always prompt and on time. In 2007, when Claudia realized that she was really loving her position at the college, she decided to settle down and purchase a cottage that was just three miles away from her work. It was the perfect little setup and so ideal for her newfound happiness at the college. 
Just down the road from Claudia's new little cottage was a pub called the Nags Head Pub, and she became a regular at this pub, and all the people that worked there knew her and loved her. Now, as I stated, Claudia was very close with her parents and even her older sister, Allie, but she did keep some of her personal life private. And one of those details she kept to herself was her dating life. And though Claudia remained single for the majority of her adult life, she did have a series of short-term relationships, but she kept all of those to herself. On Wednesday, March 18th, 2009, Claudia arrived promptly to her shift at the college and clocked in at 6 a.m. She worked her full shift and was seen leaving the campus around 2 p.m. on CCTV footage, walking on foot. About an hour later, she was seen on a different CCTV footage, walking by a shop that was located not far from where she lived. She was also seen by one of her neighbors in this area. Shortly after walking past this shop, one of her co-workers was driving by and stopped and offered her a ride the rest of the way home, which Claudia accepted. Her co-worker dropped her off outside of her home at 2.50 p.m. After settling back home, Claudia communicated with several of her friends as well as her parents over the phone. Claudia's mother, Joan, states that when she spoke with Claudia that day, nothing seemed out of the ordinary. She was her normal chatty self, and the two of them even discussed plans for what they intended to do to celebrate Mother's Day that was just around the corner. Claudia had told her mom that she needed to go to bed early that night because her car was having issues and she was needing to walk to work the following day. Joan bid her daughter goodnight, not realizing that that would be the final time she would ever speak to her daughter. As 6 a.m. rolled around and the reliable and punctual Claudia didn't make it for work, this was a huge red flag for Claudia's manager. This was completely out of character for this 35-year-old chef. He instantly called her phone to see if maybe something had happened or perhaps she had overslept for the first time, but her phone rang and rang and rang until it was finally sent to voicemail. With work to do, the manager kind of left it be and didn't really further try to contact her. That evening, Claudia had also had plans with a friend of hers named Susie Cooper, and they had planned to meet up at that Nags Head pub that was near her house. Susie arrived at the pub at their scheduled time, and she waited for Claudia, but she never showed. Once again, this was not like Claudia to stand up her friend, so Susie tried to contact her, and her calls and texts went unanswered. Susie knew that her friend was always on her phone, whether she was surfing the web or talking to friends on the telephone or texting, her phone was always within reach. Come the following morning and still not a single word back from Claudia, Susie tried again to get in touch with her and again, no response. This was really unsettling for Susie, so she decided to call Goodrick College to see if anyone had seen or heard from her. And this is when she learned that Claudia had not shown up for work the last two days. Panicked, Susie called Claudia's father, Peter, to let him know that she had not shown up for work for two days and that people couldn't get a hold of her. 
Peter agreed to meet up with Susie at Claudia's house and the two of them entered the home and did a search of it. Upon entering the home, it appeared that there was nothing out of place and the house didn't appear to be disturbed in any kind of way. There were dishes in the sink which appeared that Claudia had had breakfast and her bed had been neatly made. They also found some recently used hair dyeing products such as hair dye bottles and gloves, but this wasn't anything out of the ordinary because Claudia often kept up her hair color on her own. None of Claudia's valuable items were taken, and so it didn't appear as if someone had broken in to steal anything and then harmed her. The only things that were noted to be missing was her cell phone and her blue backpack that she took to work every day. And this was the same backpack that you can see her carrying on that CCTV footage from March 18th. They also noted that her hair straighteners were also missing, which again wasn't unusual for Claudia to take those with her. The way her home looked, it appeared that Claudia had woken up that morning of March 19th, had her breakfast, made her bed, and left home in the early morning hours to walk to work since she had intended to do so since her car was out of service. Something had to have happened while on her three-mile walk from her home to the college. Around 2 p.m. on March 20th, 2009, Claudia's father made the call to the North Yorkshire police to report his daughter as a missing person. Officers met Peter at Claudia's home, and because there was no sign of struggle and it appeared that Claudia had left the home on her own accord, they tried to tell Peter that Claudia likely just went off for a few days and that she would return, and eventually she would have an explanation as to why. Which I'm sure all of you who are hearing this are rolling your eyes and just as upset by this as I am. And I absolutely hate when authorities assume on these adult cases that these people just ran off. They know absolutely nothing about these individuals and what is within their character or not. I feel that they should really take into consideration what those who are closer to these victims say and what they say is and is not like their loved one. So much time is lost on many of these cases because authorities want to assume that someone just ran off for a few days to reset. My heart hurts for these families who have to hear that when they know in their gut that something is not right with their loved one. But just to be sure and to cover their bases, the police did put out a notice publicly to make people aware that Claudia was someone that they should be looking for. And they did decide to go ahead and check her usual route to work to see if they could see any signs of her or any of her belongings. And her family once more were adamant that Claudia would never leave without telling anyone where she was going. And they felt in their hearts that she was abducted on her journey to work that morning. But as the time passed and no sign of Claudia and the continued radio silence from her phone, the police soon realized that their first assumption was incorrect and that this was more than just a woman needing a break from life. Doubling down on the search for Claudia, police began having a few theories of what may have happened. 
Their first working theory was that Claudia may have had some sort of accident while on her journey to work, but this was ruled out quickly after checking the routes that she could have taken to work and finding zero sign of her or her belongings. After five weeks had passed, the police released a statement saying that Claudia's case was no longer considered a missing persons case, but instead they were considering it a murder investigation. Authorities began questioning if maybe Claudia had been a victim of a crime of opportunity, that she had simply been in the wrong place at the wrong time, and that her path crossed with a violent offender on that morning journey to work. But they also couldn't rule out the possibility that Claudia may have been murdered by someone she knew. And statistically speaking, we know that oftentimes victims of murder are killed by someone that they know. So perhaps whatever happened was at the hands of someone she knew. Given that she had been dating around a little bit, maybe something ended badly. When searching the CCTV footage, it was also noted that Claudia can't be seen anywhere on the route she would have taken that day to work. Crime Stoppers came out with a reward of £10,000 for information that would lead to an arrest and conviction of the person responsible for Claudia's disappearance and assumed murder. This is when the phone lines began ringing and authorities finally started getting tips they so desperately needed. A witness came forward saying that they saw a woman who they believed was Claudia Lawrence speaking with a man on Melrose Gate Bridge at around 5.35 a.m. on the morning of March 19, 2009. Which this bridge is near Claudia's home and also a bridge she would have crossed en route to her work. The witness claimed that he saw the man she was talking to smoking a cigarette and that he was holding it in his left hand. The man was described to have a skinny build and was said to be wearing a dark-colored hoodie with the hood drawn up and dark-colored tactical-style pants. The witness had also claimed that there had been a woman with the man that morning on the bridge, and she was described as smaller than him, and she had light brown, dull-colored hair. She was also wearing a blue jacket that stopped at her waist, and the jacket had buttons and pockets. Unfortunately, despite the pretty detailed description of the pair, they were unable to identify who they were or if they had any kind of involvement. As questions remain unanswered, the community really tried to rally together to help find Claudia and to get answers. Lead investigators went on national television to bring awareness to her case and to plead for anyone to come forward with any kind of suspicion on anything. What I found interesting in this specific interview, though, was they talk about how people with information might be trying to protect Claudia's image and reputation, and the investigator makes a statement about how he's not here to judge Claudia's relationships and that he's here to investigate them, and that he needs people to share this information with him. And there are reasons for these statements, which we will get into shortly. As I stated earlier, Claudia always had her phone within reach, and she was always texting and surfing the web and talking on it, and she didn't leave anywhere without the phone in hand. So investigators began digging into her phone records. They found that in the weeks leading up to her disappearance, Claudia had spent a lot of time in the Acom area of Yorkshire. 
They also found that her phone was still powered on until just after midday on Thursday, March 19th, and had stayed within the local area. They were also able to identify that the phone had been deliberately turned off opposed to dying from low battery. When looking at the messages that Claudia had received on the night of the 18th, it was found that she had received a text message at 8.30 p.m. She had replied to this message, but 45 minutes later, when another message came through, she did not reply to that one. This last text that Claudia received was from a man who lived in Cyprus. In September of 2009, six months after Claudia's disappearance, the police announced that they were expanding their search to Cyprus. Cyprus is an area in which Claudia had visited on holiday several times, and she had at one point searched for job opportunities there, and she also knew several people who lived there. The lead investigator on the case also reported that several of the people they had questioned in Cyprus were refusing to give much information. A full year after Claudia's disappearance, police began searching Heslington after receiving some information, and they began scouring a muddy trail that was located near a park. On March 25, 2010, the team of searchers began looking through a field also that was near the University of York. They spent countless hours digging through heavy thickets of brush, only to come up empty-handed, and they believed that whomever it was that gave this tip was doing so to provide false information and send authorities on a wild goose chase that would end up at a dead end. One thing that investigators were heavily considering, and it takes me back to that comment earlier about the interview, was Claudia's relationships and love life that potentially could explain her disappearance and presumed murder. According to an article published by Yorkshire Post, after learning about Claudia's relationships, her family believes that she may have fallen victim to a jealous partner of one of the married men with whom she had a relationship with. It was also reported that through their investigation, they learned that Claudia had had many relationships with married men, and many of them she had met while drinking at the Nags Head pub not far from her home. And I do want to take a moment and say that though this isn't what most would deem socially acceptable behavior on Claudia's part, we don't fully know the details of her personal relationships beyond what has been reported. In no way, shape, or form am I victim-blaming or talking down on her relationships, and I know that in many articles that I read, Claudia was painted in a very, very nasty light. I do not agree with slander of a victim, and I will not tolerate nasty discussion on our social medias about this. However, I only bring it up because it is the facts of the case, and many speculate, including authorities, that this could have potentially led to her disappearance. In June of 2013, the North Yorkshire Police announced that they had formed a new major crimes unit that would be digging into some of the area's cold cases. The Major Crimes Unit began re-examining Claudia's case, and they did so by conducting a forensic search of the alleyway that was located behind Claudia's house. They also ran some DNA on items that had previously been collected from Claudia's car, including a cigarette butt, which they learned had a male's DNA on it. 
On the five-year anniversary of her disappearance, CCTV footage was released that they had been holding on to since 2009. In the video, you can see a silver Ford Focus traveling in the direction of Claudia's home. When it reaches Claudia's house, the brake lights come on and then the car kind of goes out of view. They also released other footage of a vehicle that the police wanted to find as well, and this footage came from the front of a bus that was traveling down Claudia's road. In the footage, you could see a white Vauxhall Astra van parked directly across the street from where Claudia lived. This van had been parked there for at least 30 minutes around 9 p.m. on the night of March 18th. Not long after the release of this footage, several men had been arrested in connection to Claudia's case. It was believed that all of the men who had been arrested had either had some kind of relationship with Claudia or had information about relationships that she had, but they were withholding. In May of 2014, a 59-year-old man was arrested on suspicion of murdering Claudia Lawrence. He lived just a mile away from where she did, and police swarmed his home with a forensic team to scour for any evidence. The following November, though, that man was released from jail with charges being dropped. A few more arrests were made in connection to the case, but none of these arrests led to anything, and they all were subsequently released without charge. On the sixth anniversary of her disappearance, police released more CCTV footage, and this footage really got people interested in this case once again. This footage was captured at 7.15 p.m. on the 18th of March and is taken from an area that is near the back alley that leads to the back of Claudia's home. A person in this footage is seen walking towards the alley and then they go out of camera shot. And just over a minute later, this person is then seen walking back out. While the person is walking back out, another individual is seen crossing the street just ahead of them. This person who came from the alleyway, when they see the other person, they completely stop in their tracks and wait for that individual to continue walking by before they themselves continue walking. On that same CCTV footage, just 10 hours later at 5.07 a.m., someone is spotted again walking back and forth from the same alley behind Claudia's house. To me, when viewing this, it looks like it could be the same person. The clothing looks similar, but the footage is too far to determine truly if it was or wasn't. But police speculate that this person could also potentially be the same person that the witness said that they had seen talking to who they believed was Claudia on the bridge that morning. And all of this CCTV footage was taken not far from that bridge, and this timeline lines up. In February of 2021, Claudia's father, Peter, died without ever knowing what happened to his youngest daughter. Before his passing, Peter fought hard for a law to be passed in his daughter's name, which he succeeded. Claudia's law allows a guardian to be appointed after 90 days or more of a person going missing. 
This guardian then is able to contact the missing person's bank and to stop direct debits. They are also allowed to sell property of the missing and take care of things on the missing person's behalf. Many more searches for Claudia have been conducted, including searches of lakes and wooded areas, and nothing has been found. It has now been 13 years since Claudia Lawrence has gone missing. Her mother, Joan, is still fighting for answers on what happened to her daughter. She is quoted in an article that was published last month by The Guardian, saying, If you give up on hope, you may as well give up altogether. In the description of this episode, I will have a direct link that you can visit that will have all of the various different points of contact in case you have information about this case. There are also several different press links if you wish to look into those as well. If you're not already a part of our private Facebook group, you can find us by searching Crimeaholics Podcast Discussion Group on Facebook. In there, we share all information and pictures pertaining to the cases that we cover, and we also encourage all of our members to share all things true crime. Make sure you also follow us on TikTok and on Instagram at crimeaholics.com podcast. And if you wish to follow myself personally on Instagram, you can find me at Crimeaholi. Crimeaholics, that is all for this week's Missing Monday. Thank you so much for enduring my groggy voice. Until next time, be aware and take care.